Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Okay, if you've got your Bibles this morning, you can open it to Genesis chapter 33 in our series called Alpha and Omega as we trek through Genesis and then ultimately the book of Revelation. And uh, we find ourselves in a, a, a very unique place in chapter 33, and I just want to go ahead and be honest with you. I want to tell you up front, your pastor loves you, okay? So this message today is one of the most difficult messages I've ever prepared for. Called me, challenged me, made me do something I was terribly uncomfortable with, but God honored it and he blessed it. And so it's my goal today that you will hear from the Holy Spirit, not from your pastor. Okay, And it is my goal today that God will move you and challenge you and encourage you and push you out into this unusual, awkward, difficult space. And that in that, you will find a touch from God and he will bless you for what happens. Uh, I, I pray, I, I remember hearing people pray, pastors say, hey, we need to be praying for revival. We need to be praying for revival. And I've always heard that and I would accept that challenge and I would pray for revival. But I've never felt it in my core of my being like I do today. Because I know churches who are struggling, very close to me. They everywhere, they're struggling. And I, I don't want to be that church that struggles because of something that we do. Sometimes God allows us to go through difficult places But sometimes it's caused by things we do. And I don't want our church to be the church that's struggling or hurting or not being who it is God wants us to be because of something we've done. And so today's message is about a word that is absolutely at the core of what God does. It is the thing that all of eternity is absolutely made of. And it's called forgiveness. And we all have, are familiar with the word, and we use the word, and certainly in our relationship with God, we champion the idea of it, but sometimes we don't practice it like we should. And I want you to know today as a church, I want us to move beyond that. I want us all to gain an awareness of this thing called forgiveness so we can move forward and let God who, be who he wants to be, not just in your life and my life, but in the life of his church, the bride of Jesus Christ. So today's message, I really believe, is a critical step to determine whether our church continues to move forward and whether or not our church experiences revival. And I want it to be a Holy Ghost-filled, fire-filled uh, revival. That's my prayer. I want, I, I, and sometimes people think revival is where a lot of people get saved. That's, that's tier number two. It's, it's secondary. The f- revival is when people who are children of God, who have been bought in the blood of Jesus are brought back to a place where God is fresh to them, where they're on fire for God because of what Jesus has done. That's what revival is. It's when we as believers get it. Now listen, when that happens, people get saved because lost people say there's something weird going on with that bunch of people, okay? And they're inquisitive and the Holy Spirit moves and there are salvations. But revival starts with the believer. And so I want you to repeat, if you're a believer today, I want you to repeat these words after me, okay? Are you going to do it? Say, I am. Here we go. We live in a fallen world, and we all make mistakes. We make them every day. We all offend people. 
we all have been offended. Some of it is very painful to me. Some of it is very painful to others. All of it is painful to God. All of our offenses nailed Jesus to the cross. And Jesus forgives fully, freely, and finally. And God demands that I forgive the same way. And if I don't, I am not forgiven. Look at your neighbor and say, very scary. I'm just saying, man, that's hard, cold facts. Everything I just said, I can show you in Scripture. That's paraphrased Scripture. Everything. And that's our confession. And maybe you said it and you didn't feel real warm and fuzzy about it inside. But it's real. That should be your confession. That should be my confession. That should be our belief system about what it is that God has done and who it is we're supposed to be. Because I believe the church today hasn't really grabbed on to the, the magnitude, the enormity of forgiveness. I think we take it on a superficial level like, yeah, Jesus died on a cross to save me. Now I got my ticket punched and when I die, I'll go to heaven. Well, that's fair on the surface. But you got to understand that when that happened, the God of eternity, the God of everything laid himself on a cross and took nails for your sin and for my sin. And when he forgives you, he expects you to forgive other people. And this is not a pleasant subject, and it's not a happy sermon because it's very hard because we kind of like hanging on to the stuff that's gone by. And so you say, well, is this really a big deal? Do we really need to get this? The only reason you need to get this that it's a big deal, is if by chance you think sometime in the future you want God to forgive you, okay? If you think there's the slightest chance that maybe today or tomorrow or for some of you next month there'll be a sin that accidentally slips into your life and you think, boy, I sure would like for that one to be under grace. I sure would like for God to forgive that one. If you think that, then this is really important that you get this message. Because Satan, in all of his schemes and tactics, he, his goal, he can, you see, he cannot hurt God. Because he is a created being. Satan is. God the creator. Satan is created. He cannot hurt God. So what he does is he tries to hurt the thing that God loves. And the thing that God loves is you. The redeemed. And the thing that God loves is the bride of Jesus, which is the church. So Satan wants to hurt you. He just does. And Satan wants to hurt the church. He just does. And in a church like this where God is on the move and he's doing great things, Satan really amps it up. And so this is one of those areas where God, where Satan will use it to hurt God, and that is when we harbor bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. And so he knows that if we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, he knows that we will stop loving each other, right? We'll stop serving each other, right? We'll stop demonstrating the joy that God has placed in us. And most importantly, we'll stop the flow of forgiveness from God into our life and into the life of our church. And therefore, he won't be able to use the church like he intends to or desires to. And it's a sad commentary in our world today that Christians often are the least forgiving people on the planet. 
And I'm going to be, listen, listen, listen. Some of the meanest, ugliest, sourest, most complainingest, bitterest, unforgivingest people I've ever known show up at church on Sunday and claim the name of Jesus. Anybody else known somebody like that? Okay, if you don't, it may be you. Okay, I'm just saying. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. They claim the name of Jesus, and I'm not judging and saying they're not saved. But I'm saying when we get saved, we have a Savior who is to be our Lord. And there's a lot of people, man, they want the Savior side. I want the blood to wash my sin away. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to get my ticket punch. But the whole Lordship, the whole King of my life thing, I, I got this. I can handle this. I just want to go to heaven when I die. That's, it's a package it is a package. You cannot have Jesus as your Savior and not declare him to be Lord. You, you get both or you get none, okay? Now, fair enough, sometimes we struggle with one more than the other. Sometimes we struggle accepting salvation that God would love somebody so unlovable as myself. Sometimes we, we, we accept God's love, but we, but we don't want him to be in charge of our life. We want to maintain a, a leadership in our own life. And so that's who we become. So here it is. Parents, grandparents. Parents, grandparents. Listen to me. I am challenging you, challenging myself. I, I is one too, parent and grandparent. I'm challenging us not to be people who pass a baton to our children and our grandchildren that hanging from the ends of it is bitterness and unforgiveness. As Christian parents and grandparents, we are passing a lineage, a legacy onto our children. And I'm challenging us not to pass that idea where we just hold on to stuff and, and some things are forgivable and other things simply are not. I'm challenging us to pass to our children and grandchildren love through forgiveness because that's what Christ has done for us. And so, so in Matthew chapter 18... Jesus paints a picture of this in a parable. Jesus tells this parable about a king who forgives um, the debt of one of his servants. Now, the debt is enormous. In fact, it's equivalent to billions and billions of dollars today. And yet the king, the, the servant comes and says, will you forgive me? Will you just help me? Give me some more time so I can pay my debt. And, and, and the Bible says in this parable that the, that the king says, since you ask and since you were persistent, I th really think you want me to help you out. I'll tell you what I'll do. I will erase your debt. You don't even have to pay me back. And so this servant goes out, the Bible says, and all of the people who owed him money, he says he goes to one, he grabs him by the neck and says, you got to pay me back. Okay? Now, the king hears about it, calls him in, and he says, I extended this grace to you, this forgiveness of debt to you, and yet you're going to go out and treat these other people who owe you like that? He says, this is the scripture. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servants just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Well, if he's in prison, he can't pay his debt. He was tortured forever. Then it says in verse 35, Jesus says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, isn't that just a happy little verse right there? Okay? You'll be tortured forever if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters. I didn't write it. 
you, you can't shoot the messenger. And I'm going to challenge you right now. If you hear something today that gets steps on your toes, hurts your feelings, makes you mad, don't get mad at the messenger. But if you want to and you say, well, I just don't agree with that, you go home, you pray about it, you read the scripture, you come back and talk to me, and, and, and we'll, get, we'll get to the bottom of it. But I'm telling you, it's true and it's real. And I want to tell you this. You won't hear anything today that hadn't absolutely blistered my tail for about 10 days, okay? And I'm going to share a story at the end that I had to do. Uncharted waters for me that I did not enjoy. So I want you to know today, this comes from your pastor's heart, and I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching because of what God has done in my heart. And I am in a different place, and I'm a different man today because of it. And I want you to leave the same. So let's look, before we begin, let's take a little forgiveness exam. It's located on the back of your worship guide. It's a true-false question. True-false question number one, a person should not offer forgiveness until it is asked for. You know the, the story, I'm not forgiving them. They didn't ask me for forgiveness. Why would I give them forgiveness they didn't ask for? I mean, it's a good question, right? False. The answer is false. In fact, Jesus did just that. 2,000 years ago, before you got here, he offered you forgiveness on a cross before you ever had a tongue to ask for forgiveness. So we have to extend or offer forgiveness before it's ever asked. Adrian Rogers tells a story that he was sadly, badly offended. And the person would not agree to come together. It was a man in the church. And he would not come together and meet with him. He would not work it out. And so he wrote a letter. He wrote a letter that says, I forgive you for all that you've done. I ask you to forgive me for all that I've done. As we move forward in Jesus' name, let's become who it is God would have us to be. I will, I will choose to remember this no more. And he signed it, and he put it in his file cabinet. He offered it, even though the guy never received it. That's what it looks like. That's what Jesus did. That's why the answer is false. Number two on the exam Forgiveness denies the offense ever happened or caused any pain. Forgiveness denies that the offense ever happened or that it caused pain. You know, uh, to forgive means that I no longer feel the pain. It's like it didn't even exist. The answer, false, false. You say, how do you know? Jesus is in heaven. Jesus still has scars on his hands and on his feet. He has the marks that it did once upon a time exist that you and I and our offenses caused him to die on a cross, okay? He still has the marks. He knows that the pain was there. False. Number three, this is a good one. Forgiveness is not complete until it is completely forgotten. You've, you know, I mean, you really didn't forgive me because you haven't forgotten it. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if you have a brain, you cannot erase everything that has hurt you. You cannot forget it. You will not forget it. Don't pretend to forget it. Don't think in yourself, well, I haven't really forgiven because I haven't forgotten. And some of you who have read your Bible so say, would say, well, over in Isaiah, it says that God forgets all of our sin. Listen to your pastor. He does not forget your sin. He's sovereign. He cannot forget anything. To forget anything means he denies it exists, exists or he's unaware that it ever happened. The Bible, the scripture says in Isaiah, he says, God speaking, he says, I choose to remember no more. There's a huge, vast chasm of a difference between forgetting and choosing not to remember. 
what he's saying in that, he's saying is your sin, the, your, God is saying to us, to you, to me, he's saying your sin is buried in the blood of Jesus. It is in the sea of forgetfulness, but only because I choose not to remember it anymore. What he's saying is I choose not to bring it up. Tomorrow, when you do that same sin that you did yesterday that you've asked forgiveness for, he's not going to say, you asked forgiveness yesterday, and yet you did it yesterday and the day before. I'm tired of forgiving you. No, if he forgives you, he doesn't keep bringing it up. So when you go before God to ask forgiveness for your sins, you're asking for the sins that you've committed since the last time you asked God to forgive the sins that you committed. You don't keep asking forgiveness for the same sins because they're buried in the sea of no remembering. Amen? That is what he does. So all of those are false. And so when you think about it, you say, well, shoot, I kind of got a messed up view of the whole thing that eternity is made of. So I need to understand it more. So today's message is called this, let it go. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to let it go. Look back at your other neighbor and say, you do too. That way you both know. Everybody's got to let it go. Everybody in here has got something you need to let go. Everybody in here, you say, well, you're picking on me. I ain't picking on you. No, I don't even know what's in your heart. If you feel picked on, oh, check, listen to this. If you feel picked on by your preacher, that's the Holy Spirit of God stomping your feet, okay? And I know, I know what it feels like because he stomped mine, all right? He has stomped on. So let's look into this thing. I want you to know we have to learn to seek forgiveness, We have to learn to receive forgiveness. We have to learn to offer forgiveness. And we have to learn to apply forgiveness in our lives. Let it go. Genesis 33, point number one, you got to let go of the guilt. Some of this message, some of this story, ironically, sovereignly found in Genesis 33, is for the offender. And some of it is for the offendee. Some of it is for the one who has caused the grievance or the offense or the sin against someone else. Other parts of it are for the one who have been hurt. And as we said before, we've all offended. We've all been offended. All of it cost Jesus his life on a cross. So we're on a, we're on a level playing field. There's nobody in here that's a bigger sinner than the next. Okay? Jesus didn't die for me more than he died for you because I'm a bigger sinner than you are. And that's probably true that I am. But it didn't cost him more blood because of my sinful condition. So here we go. Let go of the guilt. Verses 1 and 2. Now keep in mind, Jacob the shyster, he's been on the run. He stole his brother's birthright. He stole his brother's blessing. He lied to his dad. He's a shyster. And he's been on on the run for 20 years. Now, all of a sudden, 20 years of crockpot hatred from his brother, which in Genesis 17, the last thing, uh, 27, the last thing uh, Esau said to Jacob, he says, when the old man dies, I am killing Jacob. 20 years later now, this thing happens. Verse 1, Jacob looked up, and he saw Esau was coming along with 400 men. So Jacob divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. And he put the servants and their children in front, and Leah Uh, with Leah and her children behind them and Rachel and Joseph behind them. Now, if you keep reading the text, you find out at this point, Jacob now is a new man, okay? He's a new man. When he did that to his brother, he was lost. He He did not know God. And then we find out he has this encounter with a ladder, and Jesus is standing up atop the ladder, and all of a sudden he says, Hey, you are not just my papa Abraham's God. You are not just my daddy Isaac's God. You're going to be my God too. I believe you. So he was a believer, 
okay? And, but he wasn't sanctified. His life wasn't set apart. He's still up to his shenanigans, controlling his life, okay? And, and so as you read a little further, all of a sudden, he has another encounter with God. And when he has his second encounter with God, all of a sudden, he realizes his life is supposed to be different. His life on the outside is supposed to match his heart on the inside. So Jacob, is a, a, he's a brand new dude, all right? Now, right here, he sees him coming. And, and sometimes we go ahead and we have preconceived ideas and we imagine the response of somebody that we've offended in the past before we ever get there. We imagine, well, if I go to that person, man, they owe me because I didn't treat them well. They owe me. So when I go there, man, they're going to punch me in the face. You know, they're going to get out a gun and shoot me. You know, they have no reason to forgive me. Um, I don't want to go there. I don't want to, I don't, that's going to be awkward. I don't want to go into that environment. You've got to let go of the guilt. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, Jesus has forgiven you. And if the whole world stands against you and chooses to never forgive you, if you've truly been repentant, if you've truly been before God and he's truly forgiven you, you are forgiven, regardless of what other people say. You're forgiven. Look at your neighbor and say, if Jesus forgives you, you're forgiven. When your neighbor remembers, when your children and grandchildren remember, when your church remembers, when your spouse remembers, when everybody seems to remember, Jesus says, remember what? Remember what? I've already forgiven that. I don't remember that. I choose not to remember that. Isn't that good news? Because some of us just need to be liberated and let go of the guilt and say, God, thank you for choosing not to remember my stinking past. Thank you for choosing to move, wanting a desire to move forward with me. Help me let go of the guilt and move forward. 1 John 1.9 says this, He, Jesus, will forgive us our sins, our iniquities, and they will all be wiped out. Now, let me give you a picture from the Old Testament what this looks like. This is cool. In the Old Testament, Moses is, leaving, is leading the nation of Israel uh, on the Exodus to leave the nation of Egypt into the wilderness. And so God says, listen, for the, the Passover lamb is coming and, and, uh, the, the, uh, uh, to, to kill the firstborn. And, and when the Passover comes through to keep from the death angel taking your firstborn, you need to sacrifice an animal, make a clean sacrifice, take the blood and a hyssop, which was like a brush, and smear it. And wipe it all over your door. So when the death angel comes through, he's saying, I ain't going in there because they are behind and inside the blood. Okay? He wipes it. He wi and then in the New Testament, when we get saved, when I got saved as a 10-year-old boy, every sin I had ever committed up to that point and every sin I would ever commit until Jesus comes to get me or he returns, uh, takes me home or he returns, he's wiped it away. In the blood of Jesus. And so we need to let go of the guilt knowing that if Jesus, if we're okay with Jesus, everything else is secondary. Okay? Everything else is secondary. So we've got to let go of the guilt. Number two, we've got to let go of the pride. Oh, boy. We don't want to do this one. We do not want to do this one. We don't. We are prideful people. My goodness. We are prideful people. Listen to what it says in verse 3. So when Jacob himself went on ahead of them, he bowed toward the ground seven times as he approached his brother. 
Forgiveness is found in humility. When there's people, has anybody ever come to you like this, wanting forgiveness? They say, "Hey, man, I want you to forgive me." You know, I or or this. Hey, I shouldn't have done that, but anybody ever heard that one? I'm sorry, but if you're here, men, when you say you're sorry, forget that three-letter word, but. Because when you use it, you just became one. Okay? Just saying. Okay? So here's the deal. I'm sorry. It's over. Don't say but. Okay? That's not humility. That's not exercising repentance and, for, and, and forgiveness in humility. I do this sometimes. It was first time I did it, it's the most awkward thing in the world to get on my knees before the church, to get like this. It's the weirdest thing, I'm telling you. There's people you would think that, that, that these, these altar steps are over here are like a crucifixion, you know, spot. Like there's a guillotine going to come chop your head off because you feel so vulnerable. And, men, it's worse for us. We feel like we get on our knees, man, we are exposed to the world. I mean, come back, going to sneak up on me, take my wallet and run. I got to get up. You know, they're going to bust me in the head. We feel so vulnerable. And yet for forgiveness to happen, we have to become vulnerable. We have to expose ourselves, well, not literally. We have to expose ourselves as humble human beings. We have to be willing to say, hey, I am really, really sorry. Some of us just need to do that to God. God, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I don't care what people think. I'm sorry. You died on a cross for this too. I'm so sorry. I keep offending you. Okay? Humility brings forgiveness. It just simply does. And yet we want to hang on to the pride. It says he saw him coming and he went before him and bowed. Okay? So we got to let go of the guilt. We got to let go of pride. Number three, we got to let go of the past. We just got to let go of the past. Verse four says, but Esau, but Esau, change, change. But Esau ran to meet him and he embraced him and he hugged his neck and he kissed him. And then they both started crying. They, they wept. And I got a confession. You know, when's the last time, men, you told your spouse, you told husband, you told your wife, baby, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And she just came, jumped on you, started just smothering you with kisses. When's the last time that happened? It ain't never happened in my house. I'm just going, oh, she ain't keeping the nursery. She's sitting here, I forgot. Uh, no, this is what happens. Mine. This, this is my life. Kendra says, you know, one time I offended her. Excuse me, she offended me. She said something brutally true, but offensive. She hit the tender, tenderoni spot. You know what I'm talking about? Just went for the jugular. Bam, bam. You know, and I was wounded. I was wounded. And she knew it. She knew she got me. She knew she wounded me. And I was like, man, I was feeling the pain. And I'm thinking to myself, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd punch you right in the mouth. But you're a woman and I'm a Christian. That don't work because I ain't doing it. Okay, but I was hurt. And she knew it. She said, Joel, she got real serious. Joel, I'm sorry I said that. Will you forgive me? My answer, I will. Future tense. But I ain't right now because I'm offended. I'm hurting. She said, no, no. She, 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 she did this. This is awesome. She said, the Bible says, unless you forgive me, God won't forgive you. I said, are you really going to pull that trump card right now? Are you seriously going to pull that trump card? She said, yes, I am. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I lit up like Christmas. I said, Yes, I will. Why? Because I had the love of Jesus, wanted to forgive her? No, because I knew one day I'm going to say something ugly to her, and I'm going to pull the trump card. I'm going to say, oh, no, you're going to forgive me. That's what the Bible says, or you're unforgiven. Okay? Now, she, that's, our, that's our relationship. I, I wish when I said I'm sorry and I don't use the word but, she'd just come, just lay a big kiss on me, you know, 
Maybe you try that later. I don't know. Uh, okay. So, so, here, so, here's, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. They have this weird relationship. It's like he's supposed to be wanting to kill him for the last 20 years. And, and all he does is he exercises and demonstrates humility and repentance and, and wanting to be forgiven. And all of a sudden, his brother comes and hugs him and kisses. Now listen here. He is lost. He nev- There's never a record of Esau becoming a child of God. There's never a record of Esau having an encounter with God. What there is is a record of Esau rebelling and refusing to pursue anything spiritual in his life and always being about physical things. In fact, in Hebrews 12, 16, he shows up again in the New Testament. And you know what he's known for? Oh, because he forgave his brother? No. Oh, because he had this encounter with God? No. Here's what he's known for. Hebrews 12, 16. Let there be, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now, here it is. Listen to this. Sometimes lost people are more forgiving than saved people. And I'm just going to tell you, that's upside down and wrong. If you are born again, it's because of God's forgiveness towards you in his son Jesus. And you of all people, Christians, should understand and grasp the greatness of this thing called grace and forgiveness. You should be a vessel of forgiveness. And yet we harbor grudges, we hold on to it, we make decisions based on something we're hanging on to. And all the while God's saying, yeah, that's cool, that's cool, that's what I'm going to do next time you want some grace from me. I'm going to say, God's, God says, I'm going to uh, dam up the channel of blessing and forgiveness. Because that's what he does. We, 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 we refuse to be able to receive forgiveness because we refuse to demonstrate and give forgiveness. You say, well, that's kind of odd. It is odd because listen to this. Forgiveness is universal. It crosses socioeconomic boundaries. It crosses gender boundaries. It crosses racial, ethnic boundaries. It cro- Forgiveness is universal. Why? Because it comes from a God who is universal. It comes from a God who's outside the universe. And when something from the outside comes into the inside, it's bigger than we understand. And it pushes through the boundaries of this life as we know it. Matthew 5. There's a scripture. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother or your sister and then come and offer your gift. So in, in researching and, and preparing for this message, I was looking at this, this passage, and I told Kendra, and I told the early service, this never dawned on me. But there's been times in my life that I've harbored unforgiveness or a grudge because of an offense or something somebody had done to me indirectly or directly, and I just harbored a grudge. And yet on Sunday, I would show up at church, man, offering plate would come. Yes, show the love to Jesus. Let me in on that. Okay, I'm talking about Jesus, you know, I'm serving him, I'm teaching a class, all the gifts and talents, man, I'm doing it. And all the while I didn't realize it was an exercise in futility because I had unforgiveness in my life. 
and I never saw it. And I want to tell you today, when he says go to the altar with what you have, your service, your finances, your life, before it's going to be blessed and used as it should be by God, you got to let it go. You got to take it and let it go. So in this passage, man, Esau, Esau responds totally different because he let go of the past. Some of us, listen, listen to me. Listen to you, Pastor. I love you. <laughs> I love you. You love me. It's all good. Everybody say, I love you, Pastor. I love you, church. We're on the same page. It's beautiful. Okay, it's wonderful. I love it. Okay, here's the deal. You need to let it go. Some of y'all need stuff that you have in your life that you've experienced in the past. Maybe you've done. Maybe somebody's done against you. You've got to let it go. Just let it go. Just take it to Jesus. Say, I'm letting it go. I'm moving forward. Or he will not use you like he wants to use you. And he will not use this church like he wants to use this church. Now, I want to close with this. The fourth point is that, oh, don't get your hopes up because I said we're going to close. We ain't getting out early or anything. We're just going to close, okay? Uh, I didn't say early. I said close. Uh, who got a rock in here? Anybody got a stone in your hand? Hold it up. Okay. Some of you didn't get here in time to get it, and that's, that's okay. Um, just have to get here earlier next week. Um, the, I, I wanted you to have a rock. I really wanted you to hold the thing the whole time, but I didn't tell you to, and it's okay. But I want you to grab your rock and just squeeze it real good. Just squeeze it. Just squeeze it like you do the pew when the Holy Spirit tells you to come forward and pray. You know, just squeeze it till the blood's out of your knuckles, you know. Just let, you know, just feel it, okay? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, and yet that's how we are with unforgiveness. That's how we are with bitterness and, and when we hold, harbor bad feelings towards somebody. That's what it feels like. It feels like we got this, this stone in our hand. Now listen to what happens in verse 11 in the text. Well, let me, let me tell you what happens up to verse 11. So, so Jacob doesn't just go in humility. When he gets there, Esau says, what is all this stuff, man? And Why have you been sending me all these gifts? And Jacob says, man, I just, God's been good to me, and I, I messed you up, and I, I just want to bring a gift peace offering. I don't know what else to do. And Esau says, man, I got enough stuff. I don't need your stuff. I got enough stuff. And Jacob says, I would really prefer it if you'd take my stuff. And Esau says, okay, I'll take your stuff. But then Esau says, but in exchange, man, since we're back together, he says, why don't you let me lead you as we move forward? And I'll go out front saying to Jacob, and I'm going to protect you. Okay? I ain't worried about all that stuff. That's all behind us. Okay? It's right now. And I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to lead you. I'll be your guy out front. And Jacob says, no, 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 no. I, I don't want you to do that because I got these children here and I got young animals and they're going to move really slow. And Esau says, well, okay. Why don't I just leave some soldiers behind, some of my servants to help your servants? I mean, he's wanting to give it. And then there's this verse, man. And when I read this, it just wore me out. Why would Jacob not want to take anything from his brother while they're restoring this relationship? Listen to what he says. Verse 11. Jacob says, please just accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. My goodness, that's good stuff, church. That's good stuff. God has dealt graciously with us and I got enough. You see, 
This, he's saying this on the heels of him being humble, of him being scared for his life, of him offering this stuff. When he sees that his relationship with his brother is restored, all of a sudden he says, man, I, don't, I need you to just take this and I don't want anything from you because God has dealt graciously with me and I have enough. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 This is what happens when we let go of unforgiveness. This is what happens when we choose to give what we've been given through Jesus. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now that's just not the happiest verse you've ever seen in your life. If you don't forgive, he won't forgive. Wow, that's devastating. Colossians 3.13, if if that's not strong enough for you. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's how we do it. It's a picture. We we do what he did. Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness. Now listen to this list of sins and then listen to what's included. Ephesians 4.31, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And we say, well, I'm a pretty good Christian. I've gotten rid of those. He doesn't stop there. He includes the rest of this in that same list. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, uh, just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. So here's what we do. We forget about looking in the mirror like we should and seeing who it is that God saw when Jesus went to the cross. We compare ourselves to the next person down on the sin list. We find somebody a little worse than we are, and we say, I'm pretty good because when I stand next to that person, look how good I look. And that's not our standard. Our standard is Jesus, God. And what we do is we look at somebody else's grievous sins and we hold this stone in our hand and we just look for the opportunity, man, to beat them down with this stone, to penalize them for the sin that they've committed. Man, we judge them. We put on the robe and the gavel. And all the while, God is on his throne saying, what are you doing? I didn't treat you that way when I went to the cross. How did, you get from, how did you get from that moment when grace encountered you to this place where you have no grace to pass on to the next sinner on the list? What has happened to you? There's a story in the Bible kind of paints a picture of this. John 8, beginning in verse 7, it says that at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught literally in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis to accuse Jesus. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to him, to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. 
And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Now, nobody knows what he wrote. There's a lot of speculation. Some believe he simply wrote the Ten Commandments. Some believe he started writing out sins of these people. Stand, oh, Jimmy, he's a liar. Steve, yeah, he's an adulterer too. And all of a sudden, the Bible says they begin to walk away, and it started with the oldest guys first. I don't know if that's because they were older and they'd sinned more, they realized how bad they were, or if they were wise enough to say, uh, we better get before, I better get out of here before my name shows up on that little tablet he's writing in the dirt, okay? But they all begin to walk away, walk away and drop their stones. The Bible says, those who heard begin to walk away, go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Is there nobody here to condemn you? She said, No, sir, none. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go now and leave your life of sinfulness. That's what it looks like, church. That's what we look like. When God starts pouring himself out through us. That's who we look like when God begins to blister our community with his presence. But as long as we hang on to that old stuff, he will not do it. And you say, well, those are, those, I, I see your point. Maybe, maybe you're right. But what does that mean in reality? What does that look like? So... Uh, <laughs> We lived in Alabama before we moved to Tennessee 14 years ago. And uh, I was a partner in a company. It was a father who was a president, myself and his two sons. And you've heard the expression, blood thicker than water. But this was different. The president was a friend of mine. He's a good Christian man. In fact, I was working for another company. And we went to this church when we moved out in the country and bought this farm. And we lived out there, and we went to church, and I told Kendra. He was singing a solo. I told Kendra, I said, hey, I said, he's, he owns our big competitor. And I said, before it's over, he'll probably want me to work for him. I just, I don't, she said, well, she, no, she why do you say that, dear? <laughs> or she said it, why are you saying that? She said, yeah, I'll let you choose which way she said. And I said, I don't know. I just feel like that, you know. And so. A little time goes by, and he calls me one night. He says, hey, you, you traveling tomorrow? I said, no. He says, you want to come by and have some coffee? I said, sure. I told Kendra he's going to offer me a job. She said, why do you think that, dear? I said, I just think it. I went up to his house. He offered me a job. went to work for him. And I was really good at what I did. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't bring that much table. God has blessed me. I was taught to work. I was taught by my parents who worked. I got it, so I worked hard. I knew how to perform. And that company just began to swell up. And, man, he just showed the love. He just showed the love. And he had two sons, and they didn't get it. They were, you know, if they watch this video, I love you, but you were squanderers of your dad's wealth, okay? Um, they were kind of leachy, you know, spongy, okay? Ride, ride what everybody else did. I didn't even care. I had a wonderful family and a wonderful church, and he let me do student ministry on the side. And, and man, it was wonderful. And so God called me to Tennessee, to Clinton, to be student pastor, I don't care to tell you, they paid me $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year for those mathematically uninclined, okay? And I would just use that for ministry, man, just give it back to the church. I didn't have to worry about it. It's fun, and God blessed the ministry, and we're building a big old stupid house because when people make a little money, they make bad decisions with money sometimes. Chief center, okay? We built this big old monster of a house, and, 
And right in the middle of us building this house, I get a phone call. Yeah, a phone call. He said, Joel, me and the boys have been thinking, and we think that it would be better off if you didn't work with us anymore. And I was like, do what? And he said, yeah, we were thinking, you know, you're up there now. You know, it would be better off. And I said, oh, okay. Now, being the Christian that I am, I've responded in grace. Well, thanks for the phone call, and I'll just find employment elsewhere, and I'll just use the $1,000 a month I'm getting now and everything. You think that's what I did? No, I did not. I acted like the devil. The Bible says you're not supposed to sue your brothers, right? Well, that, I think that means if they don't fire you. But when they fire you, I think in that moment, I thought it's okay to sue them. So first thing I did, call my lawyer. Hey, I'm getting robbed right here. I'm getting a shaft, you know. I was acting like Jesus all over, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, yeah. next thing you know, I'm right in the middle of this lawsuit. I'm getting ready to sue him. And he, he's a friend of mine, like a second father. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I loved him like, like a brother or family member. He was an unbelievably good guy. And, and, and right in the middle of that, I thought, this ain't right. I'm not doing this right. This is wrong. And so I was told, Lord, I said, just forget it. Just forget it. Kendra said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm making $1,000 a month from the church. I said, I guess I'll build houses. And she said, what house are you going to build? I said, the one, this one we're going to move in first. And then we'll build some more. And the Lord opened the door, and it was fine. The Lord, the Lord was gracious. He took care of us t- um, unbelievably, didn't he, Kendra? He took care of it all, okay? Now listen to this. I let it go because I am a Christian, and I'm a pastor, and I really try to do right on stuff. I don't always do it well, but I tried and I, I, thought I, had, I thought I had let it all go. So I'm preparing this message. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and says, you need to call Tony and tell him you're sorry. I'm like, sorry for what? He fired me. He says, you need to tell him you're sorry that things played out like they did and you responded like you did. I'm like, I don't want to do that. And then I thought, wait a minute. When I left down there 15 years ago, he was like, 67 maybe he's dead by now you know I didn't want him to die but I thought if he's dead I won't have to talk to him okay so I called a friend of mine I said hey how's Tony doing he said great I was like dang (laughs) so he's still alive got all of his mental capacities he can hear yeah he's doing great serving in the church great all right give me his number send me his number I drove around. I was hoping the rapture would happen. I did not want to call him. So, I don't know if it was Monday, I guess. I was driving around. I didn't want to call him, man. It's so awkward. I I mean, and I'm thinking, he should call me. So, I called him. I said, Tony? He said, yeah. I said, this is Joel Dew. Well, hey, Joel. It's already awkward. I was still waiting for the rapture. And I said, man, I just wanted to tell you I'm sorry. And he said, what for? And I said, because when, when you all decided for me not to be with you, I responded wrong. And, uh, and I didn't realize that I hadn't completely forgiven that whole situation. And I never asked you to forgive me that I didn't handle it right. And I said, I was a younger man then. And I was a more ignorant man spiritually then and the Holy Spirit convicted my heart and I want you to forgive me I told Kendra I could hear the delight in his voice that I had called him and he said well brother 
I love you, man, from the first time I met you and your little family in our church. And I still love you today. And he said, we all make mistakes. That was his way of saying what I said. And he said, we all make mistakes. And he said, but tell me about your family. I started telling about the family. Man, we had the best time for about 20 minutes right there in the parking lot. Now, here's the thing. Why is that so important? Because as delighted as he was that I called, as delighted today as you can hear in my voice that I am that I called, there's none more delighted in that whole scenario than the God of the universe. He is absolutely delighted that he pricked my heart to go to this person and ask for forgiveness. And I responded and he rejoiced in heaven and says, that's what forgiveness does in the life of an individual. And he will bless my heart already and he will bless my life more. And I'm a different man today because of that one simple phone call. And I got to thinking about it. I said, I'm so glad it happened. Because I know one day whether Jesus comes back and raptures the church or he takes us both home and we're going to be in heaven one day. And I would have hated, not that it would happen this way, but I like to think about it this way. I would hate to be in heaven and here comes Tony and I'm looking for one of those gold things along the street, one of them gold bushes beside the gold roads. Be like, dang, there's Tony. Tell me, Tony gone. Okay, Tony's gone for the rest of eternity. Every time I saw Tony coming, I'd have to hide. Okay? And that wouldn't happen that way because everything in heaven is perfect. But, but that's what in my little puny mind, that's the way things roll. Okay? Now you say, what does that have to do with us? Here it is. All of us have a tendency, man, to pick up the stone and just wait for the opportunity to hurl it at somebody. Because in judging someone else's sin, it takes our mind off of our own sin. 